What if I told you I found a hair dryer that leaves hair healthier looking the more you use it? Infinity Pro by Conair is revolutionizing the drying experience with its smooth wrap hair dryer. Powered by advanced plasma technology, traditional dryers emit only negative ions to control frizz. Advanced plasma technology wraps your hair in both positive and negative ions to rebalance the natural charge of hair. The result? More volume, less frizz, brilliant shine. Treat yourself and your hair by searching Conair Smooth Wrap on Amazon.com. Attention shoppers, we now have taste in the bread aisle. Dave's Killer Bread. That's right, an organic bread that doesn't need three spoonfuls of sriracha jam to delight your taste buds. Dave's Killer Bread is a 21-grain salute to the end of boring bread, a brand on a mission to make the most out of every loaf, to rid the world of GMOs and artificial ingredients, and plant the seeds of good in all that they bake. But Dave's Killer Bread has done more than raise the bar on bread. In fact, Dave's Killer Bread was built on the belief that second chances can change lives when its founder, Dave, the guy with the guitar you see on every loaf, returned to the family bakery after 15 years in prison. Dave took that chance and ended up creating what would become the country's number one organic bread while never forgetting his not-so-easy path. That's why at Dave's Killer Bread, they proudly practice second-chance employment, hiring the best person for the job, regardless of criminal background. And by the taste of it, things have worked out rather well. Dave's Killer Bread. Bread Amplified.
for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Blessed, prosperous, redeemed, forgiven, talented, creative, di secure, disciplined, focused, prepared, qualified, motivated, valuable, free, determined, equipped, empowered, anointed, accepted, and approved. Not average, not mediocre. I am a child of the most high. What's wrong with you people? Because God broke the law for love. Heresy. Destroy it. You are not accountable to the Ten Commandments. You're not accountable to the Jewish law. We're done with that. God has done something new. Besides, yeah, no. Um... Are you stupid or something? There's a reason we're losing this culture war. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speak. So that's our very first question. What, what is the doctrine of Christ? The doctrine of Christ is that which Jesus taught. It's the red letters. But shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. All right, what is up, everybody, and welcome to another edition, albeit late and very, very haphazard edition of CCR Weekly. I am your host, Trey Harris. Thank you once again for joining me, as you do each and every week. Cannot tell you how much of a blessing it is to be able to have the privilege to do this with you guys every single week. So bear with me real quick, because... My screen is all jacked up, and I'm going to go in and manually fix this real quick in about one easy stroke. And boom! There we go. Fixed. So <laughs> that was driving me nuts, but now I just realized. See, this is, this is what I get, guys. This is what I get. Nope. Wrong button. Um... Needless to say, it's been a rough night so far, but hey, you know, could always be worse. So I will count my blessings for sure there, that's for sure. Um, and I'm not going to put the full thing up here because it's just too much to write. So I'm just going to put... 
Well, I think that says it all right there. So let's fix that. And there we go. Jacob's tonight's episode is basically the truth about Jacob's trouble. Because, um, which it didn't let me update the thumbnail that I wanted. And that's okay. Because after all, it's just a thumbnail. Not a big deal. But uh, the thumbnail that I had had a destroyed city, and it said almost everybody gets this wrong. And I have to, I have to admit, I have never seen me personally. There, I'm not saying there isn't people. I've just, I've never seen anybody properly teach uh, Jacob's trouble before. So, without any further ado, let's come over here, and we're gonna get right into this. So, let me. There we go. Um, matter of fact, give me just a second. Hmm. This might be trickier than anticipated, but you know what? We're going to do the best we can with what we got. So um, let's come over here, and we're going to look up Jeremiah... Chapter 30, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying. All right, problem solved, I think. So let's see how that does now. Come over here. All right, has that fixed it at all? Because, um, I mean, as far as I can tell, that should have fixed it. So, well, we might have to just come back over here because I didn't see any complaints until I switched it over. So let's see how that's doing. All right, Harold says it's better. So uh, y'all might just have to y'all might just have to read along with me. Um, so like I said, this system was this system was giving me a fit before the show to the point where I had given up on it. I wasn't going to do a show tonight. Um, so all right, but let me so let me just. Let's do this old school. If you've got a Bible, go to Jeremiah chapter 30. There's nothing that says we have to be fancy with this. I think that's the lesson that God's trying to teach me, by the way, is that I don't have to be fancy with it. I'm choosing to be fancy with it. Um, but that's just, you know me. I've got to learn to put me aside and let him do his thing. So, all right. So, for the... So, Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness? Um, alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For... It shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Now, there's immediately a verse you can go in the New Testament to interpret this through because you could pull up got questions, you could pull up all of these sites right now, and the first thing they're going to tell you is that this applies to the physical state of Israel in the seven-year tribulation. And so there's two propositions I'd like to propose 
to counteract this. Number one, there is no seven-year tribulation. That's not that's not a thing that you see in the Bible. Um, number two is God does not recognize the nation-state of Israel as anything having to do with him. And I can prove that just through reading the scriptures in the Tanakh, in specifically in the Torah, where it says that if you're going to live in that land, you have to keep all of the statutes and judgments that he has laid before you, and yet Tel Aviv is the gay capital of the world. Ask yourself, really stop and think, is, is God going to recognize that as his holy nation? I mean, because I'm, I'm going to be honest, and I, and I don't mean this in a mean way, but you've got to be tripping on something to think that that makes logical sense. Something is messing with your mind if you think that that is perfectly in the line with the Scriptures. And so if you flip over to Matthew 24, this is what Matthew 24 says. All right. So and let me find the verse that I'm looking for. Um So I think I'm going to start here um in verse 9. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that endure until the end, the same shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. Wherefore, when ye therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let him which be in Judea flee unto the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child. And then to that give suck in those days. But pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, and such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor shall or nor ever shall be. Except those days be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. If you saw the short little video of interviews that I did um, with a couple of my brothers. Um, I asked them, I quizzed them, because they're all between the ages of 17 and 20, um, the ones that I asked anyway. Um, I asked them, who are the chosen people of God? And eventually we got around to the same answer with everybody. It's, it's it's Christians. It's people who believe in Jesus Christ. And so, if that is the if that is the case, and Jesus says, "But for the sake of but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened," 
And he's talking about days that haven't been seen nor ever shall be seen again, which is the same language that's used in Jeremiah. Well, that's a hint that we need to perk up our ears and throw away the doctrination that has come through geopolitical Zionism that we talked about last week and understand that everything in this book, front to back, Genesis to Revelation, is applicable to the church and to the church only. This Bible was not written for Jews. It was not written for atheists. It was not written for Hindus. This Bible is the revealed word of God to his chosen people. And that is it. Because like I said, um, I think it was last night. I'll be honest, I can't really remember a much, a, a, a much about last night. I was extremely tired. Um, but one thing I do vaguely remember mentioning is that... Um, you know, the carnal mind is at enmity with God. And therefore, a Jew, a Jewish person, an ethnic Jew that denies Jesus Christ as God in the flesh is at enmity with God. They have a carnal mind. An atheist is obviously at enmity with God. A Hindu is at enmity with God. A Muslim is at enmity with God. And a Christian that does not obey the scriptures front to back is at enmity with God. Plain and simple. Because you're serving your carnal mind, you're not renewing your mind, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12. And I think we really need to understand this because the times that are coming, Jacob's trouble applies to anybody that has the name of God on them. Last week we read this passage, and I'm going to flip over there real quick. You don't need, there's no need for you to flip over there. But I want to read this real quick. And this is one of my favorite my favorite books in all the Bible. And that is the book of Galatians. And this is what Paul says in Galatians. We're going to start in chapter 3. And uh, we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 26. And Paul says, For ye are the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you has been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, because he talks earlier about how Christ was actually the promised seed of Abraham, if ye are in Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed, which would be Israel, and heirs according to the promise, the promises given to Abraham that are manifest in Christ. And therefore, if you are not listening to the verses that this mainstream church, oh, that doesn't apply to us, that only applies to Israel, you are being set up for failure and there's a good chance that you're going to be like some of the guys that we're going to talk about tonight. And so, one of the things that I want to do over here, this is my copy of the Apostolic Fathers. I'm not sure if you can see that, but this is my copy of the Apostolic Fathers um, by Michael W. Holmes. Uh, he was the editor and translator on this. And the first thing I'm going to do is I want to go over to the Didache. Um which is uh, many scholars believe is a first century document. Um, and it's literally a, a, a church manual, if you will. This was a, a, a I, I mean, for all intents and purposes, this was a statement of faith and doctrine. Um, and the very last chapter 
of the didache, which literally just means teaching or doctrine. That's what the word didache means. When, when we talk about the doctrine of Christ, that Greek word for doctrine is didache. So this is, this is doctrine that we're talking about. And this is what it says, concerning the Lord's day. No, that's not the one I want. Never mind. Um, I'm thinking the day of the Lord, not the Lord's day. Um, sorry, give me just a second. So this is the mini apocalypse. And this is literally the last chapter of the Didache. And this is what it says. For in the last days, false prophets and corruptors will abound. We just read that in Matthew 24. And the sheep will be turned into wolves and love will be turned into hate. For as lawlessness increases, they will hate and persecute and betray one another. And then the deceiver of the world will appear as a son of God and will perform signs and wonders and the earth will be delivered into his hands and he will commit abominations the likes of which have never happened before then all humanity will come to a fire to the fiery test and many will fall away and perish but those who endure in their faith will be saved by the accursed one himself and then there will appear the signs of the truth, the first sign of an opening in the heaven, then the sign of the sound of a trumpet, and the third, the resurrection of the dead, but not of all. Rather, as it has been said, the Lord will come and all his saints with them. Then the world will see the Lord coming upon the clouds of heaven. Now, I really want to focus in on this part. Then all humanity will come to the fiery test. That's the mark of the beast. This is the reign of Antichrist. And it says, and then, and many will fall away and perish. This is Revelation chapter 14. But there's a promise, a promise of hope for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But those who endure in their faith will be saved by the accursed one himself. So with that, and look, I could pull up. Um, matter of fact, I've got it over here on the bed, but because of the fact that we started late, I'm not going to. But just understand, there's further commentary on this given in Irenaeus in Book 5 of Against Heresies. If you have a copy of Volume 1 of the Anti-Nicene Church Fathers, if you don't, you can find it on Bible Hub for free. Um, you just have to go to their library section. But you can find the all of the, uh, the Anti-Nicene Fathers, the Apostolic Fathers, all of that can be found there. But Irenaeus talks about how this beast will reign and then will the church be caught up to meet him in the air. And that's just what the Didache said. This, 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 this nonsense about the pre-trib rapture, that didn't come around until the 1800s. We talked about this last week. But this is literally, this, this episode was designed to be a follow-up. Last week we exposed the false doctrine. This week we reprove it by teaching the correct doctrine. And so what I want to do next is go to Revelation chapter 2. If you will, turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. And we are going to start in verse 8. We're going to look at the church in Smyrna, and there is a reason for this. 
Unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. For none of those things which thou shalt suffer, behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. But thou faithful unto, but be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcomes shall not be hurt of the second death. And there's a reason I want to focus in on the church in Smyrna because they were the ones that literally went through hell on earth when they were uh, when Christians in this area were being forced to either burn incense before an image of Caesar or die. And this can be found in the Apostolic Fathers as well in the martyrdom of Polycarp, um, which if you haven't read the martyrdom of Polycarp, um, I can't give, I can't think of anything except for maybe the Didache and a few others. But this is right up there with one of the things that I would recommend every believer should read. This is such a powerful little little book. Um, and I want to start right here. It says, "But they themselves reached such a level of bravery." Talking about the martyrs, this is literally um, the the passage here is the nobility and bravery of the martyrs. Chapter one of the martyrdom of Polycarp is how martyrdom is actually in accord with the gospel. Many of us know this, but I want to start here. But they them they themselves reached such a level of bravery that not one of them uttered a cry or a groan, thus showing to us all that at the very hour when they were being tortured, the martyrs of Christ were absent from the flesh. Or rather, that the Lord was standing by and conversing with them, which we've seen in the book of Daniel with um, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Um, but, it, you know, it, it, it goes on. In verse 3, it says... And turning their thoughts to the grace of Christ, they despised the tortures of this world, purchasing at the cost of one hour an exemption from eternal punishment. And the fire of their inhuman torturers felt cold to them, for they set before their eyes the escape from that eternal fire which is never extinguished. While with the eyes of their heart they gazed upon the good things that are reserved for those who endure patiently, things that neither ear has heard nor eye has seen, nor has it entered into the human heart, but that were shown to them by the Lord, for they were no longer humans but already angels. And in a similar manner, those who were condemned to the wild beast endured terrible punishments. They were forced to lie on sharp shells and afflicted with various other forms of torture in order that he might, if possible, by means of the unceasing punishment, compel them to deny their faith. For the devil tried many things against them. And can I just, if there's anybody listening right now, maybe, maybe you found your way here and you believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. Here's my challenge for you. And I want to say this as lovingly 
and as calmly as I possibly can because everybody who knows me knows that I get extremely heated up about this topic. Here's my challenge for you if you believe this. What gives you the right in your mind, biblically speaking, and I, and I want you to argue your case from the Bible. I do not, I do not like it when somebody comes to an argument and they are not armed. That's like going to a gunfight without bullets. And we all know what happens there. You're 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 gonna get uh, massacred. Um, and my challenge to you is these Christians, these Christians who professed faith in Jesus Christ, they did not escape these terrible punishments. What makes you think you're going to? What makes you think that Jesus is going to have such favor on you that he's going to pull you out before you have to go through tribulation like this? Um, give me just a second, guys. Uh, think about that while, while, I'm, while I'm talking. Sarah just came to the door. Sorry, that's uh. Apparently, the youngest one has decided she's not going to sleep until I, um, am present and accounted for. So, um, but yeah, look, I mean, really, 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 stop and think about this. Why would God allow us in this last generation, which I would argue we are the most sluggardly, lazy, uh, compared to the generations before us, um. Uh, fattened up generation of Christ followers that has ever existed. Why would God allow us to escape this when we're the ones who need these trials to test our faith the most? Um, that's my question. Now, now look, let's look at this guy. There's this kid. He, he was a young guy, apparently. His name was Germanicus. It says, but thanks be to God for the devil did not prevail against any of them for the most notable Germanicus encouraged them, fearful though they were, by his own patient endurance. He also fought with the wild beasts in an outstanding way. Now get this, this is incredible. For when the proconsul wished to persuade him and asked him to consider his youthfulness, he forcefully dragged the wild beast toward himself, desiring to be released as quick as possible from their unrighteous and lawless life. That's incredible. Wow, what an example. What a godly example. But now, so there's, there's, a, there's an example of Christian bravery facing your persecution and actually bringing it onto yourself like Germanicus. But now we're going to look at cowardly Quintus. Now there was one man, Quintus by name, a Phrygian recently arrived from Phrygia who, when he saw the wild beast, turned coward. This was the man who had forced himself and some others to come forward voluntarily. The proconsul, after many appeals, finally persuaded him to swear the oath and to offer the sacrifice. This is, the sacrifice here is burning incense to Caesar. For this reason, therefore, brothers and sisters, we do not praise those who hand themselves over since the gospel does not so teach but that's what the that's what this this modern evangelical church will teach you just lay down and just you know give yourself up willingly 
no, that's that's a coward's move. Um, because the thing about it is, is and, and we're going to see this. We're going to see, I'm going to show you this. Um, when it's our time to go, I believe God will give us the peace and the understanding to know when it is our time for us to go. But until that, we're, until then, we're supposed to fight the good fight. We are in a spiritual war. <coughs> and the only time we are to lay down our arms in this spiritual war is if it is better for the kingdom to do so. And God will all God the Father will always let you know that. And I can prove it right here. Because one of the things it says is um, you know, after Cowardly Quintus, it said um that they uh, or before Cowardly Quintus, rather, it said that they were shouting away with the atheists, which is what the Romans called Christians. Away with the atheists, find Polycarp. Polycarp was the bishop of the Church of Smyrna and was discipled by John the Revelator. So this is how only one generation removed from the original apostles. And this is what it says about Polycarp. Now, the most admirable Polycarp, when he first heard the news, was not disturbed. In fact, he wanted to remain in town, but the majority persuaded him to withdraw. So he withdrew to a small country house not far from the city and stayed there with a few companions, doing nothing else night and day, praying for everyone and for the churches throughout the world, for this was his constant habit. And while he was praying, he fell into a trance three days before his arrest and saw his pillow being consumed by fire. And he turned and said to those that were with him, it is necessary that I be burned alive. Polycarp was given a revelation of his death before it was his time. I believe that when it is our time to go, we will get that peace from God. We'll know that it is okay for us to lay down our life for the cause of the gospel. God will, I believe God will always prepare our hearts to know what his will is when we are seeking his face. And look, I look, there's, 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 it talks about with, with Polycarp, when they came to arrest him, they said that he was such a godly man that, um, Let's see. Let me see if I can find it. Um, yeah, when they consented, he stood and prayed so full of the grace of God that for two hours he was unable to stop speaking. Those who heard him were amazed, and many regretted that they had come after such a godly man. See, Polycarp knew ahead of time it was time to lay down his life, and because of it, he had that peace that surpasses all understanding. He prayed, and because of it, the gospel of Christ was able to shine forth. And this is what you, you, uh, I, I'm going to call you brothers and sisters that believe the pre-trib rapture. This is what you are seeking to get away from. The time in the darkest hour of your life to move yourself out of the way and let the gospel of Christ shine forth. So, it talks about how, um, I believe this was in, so when, when Polycarp was in transport 
to his hearing. This is what it says. They tried to persuade him, saying, Why? What harm is there in saying Caesar is Lord and offering incense? In other words to this effect, and thereby saving yourself. Now at first he gave them no answer, just as Christ did. Other banks go out of their way to make redeeming credit card rewards needlessly complicated, like how they require minimums or force you to use your rewards before reaching some arbitrary expiration date. But Discover isn't like that. With Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount, at any time. So you'll never have to jump through hoops. Unless you're like a trapezist, then by all means, go right ahead. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply. This is Claudia's O'Reilly Auto Parts story. I had just moved to a new city and barely even knew where the grocery store was yet. When my car wouldn't start one morning, I didn't know who to ask about local shops. But I remembered a name from back home, O'Reilly Auto Parts. I called and they pointed me to a great mechanic just down the street. Now I feel a little more at home. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. But when they persisted, he said, I am not about to do what you are suggesting to me. Thus failing to persuade him, they began to utter threats and made him dismount in such a hurry that he bruised his shin as he got down from the carriage. And without even turning around, he went on his way eagerly and quickly as if nothing had happened to him. And as he led to, he was led to the stadium, there was such an uproar in the stadium that no one could even be heard. But as Polycarp entered the stadium, this is his hearing, there came a voice from heaven, be strong, Polycarp, and courageous. And no one saw the speaker but those of our people who were hearing, who heard the voice. And then, as he was brought forward, there was a great uproar when they heard that Polycarp had been arrested. Therefore, when they had brought before him, the proconsul asked if he were Polycarp. And when he confessed that he was, the proconsul tried to persuade him to recant, saying, Have respect for your age and other such things. They are accustomed to say, swear by the genius of Caesar, repent. Say, away with the atheists. Now, this is funny. Now, I got to say, I got to give props to Polycarp here because Polycarp got a little smart with them. They said, swear by the genius of Caesar, repent, say, away with the atheists. So Polycarp solemnly looked at the whole crowd of lawless heathens who were in the stadium, motioned toward them with his hand, and then, groaning as he looked up to heaven, said, Away with the atheists. But when the magistrate persisted and, and, and said, Swear the oath and I will release you, revile Christ, Polycarp said, For 86 years I have been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? But as he continued to insist, saying, Swear by the genius of Caesar, he answered, if you vainly suppose that I will swear by the genius of Caesar as you request and pretend not to know who I am, listen carefully. I am a Christian. Now, if you want to learn the doctrine of Christianity, name a day and give me a hearing. The proconsul said, persuade the people. But Polycarp said, you I might have considered worthy of a reply. For we have been taught to pay proper respect to rulers and authorities appointed by God, as long as it does us no harm. But as for these, I do not think they are worthy that I should have to defend myself before them. 
And so the proconsul said, I have wild beasts. I will throw you to them unless you change your mind. But he said, call for them, for the repentance from better to worse is a change impossible for us. But it is a noble thing to change from that which is evil to righteousness. Then he be said to him again, If I will have you consumed by fire since you despise the wild beasts unless you change your mind. But Polycarp said, You threaten with a fire that burns only briefly, and after just a little while it is extinguished. For you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment, which is reserved for the ungodly. But why do you delay? Come, do what you wish. And we'll skip down a little bit. And he says, uh, Polycarp has confessed that he is a Christian. When this was proclaimed by the herald, the entire crowd, Gentiles as well as Jews living in Smyrna, cried out with uncontrollable anger and with a loud shout, said, This is the teacher of Asia, the father of the Christians, the destroyer of our gods, who teaches many not to sacrifice and worship. Saying these things, they shouted aloud and asked Philip the Asiarch to let a lion loose upon Polycarp. But he said it was not lawful for him to do so, since he had already brought to a close the animal hunts. Then it occurred to them to shout out in unison that Polycarp should be burned alive, for it was necessary that the vision be fulfilled that he received concerning his pillow when he, said, when he saw it on fire and while praying and turned and said prophetically to the faithful who were with him, it is necessary that I be burned alive. And there's more chapters about preparing the, uh, the, the pyre, Polycarp's prayer, uh, death by fire and sword. Um, there is, and I do want to read that. I want to read the part about death by fire and sword. When he had offered up the amen and finished his prayer, the men in charge of the fire lit it. Actually, no, let's back up. Let's read Polycarp's prayer too. I think that part's important. So they did not nail him, but tied him instead. Then, having placed his hands behind himself and having been bound like a splendid ram chosen from a great flock for a sacrifice, a burnt offering prepared and acceptable to God, he looked up to heaven and said, O Lord God Almighty, Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received knowledge of you, the God of angels and powers and of all creation and of the whole race of, right, of the righteous who live in your presence. I bless you because you have considered me worthy of this day and hour so that I may receive a place among the number of the martyrs in the cup of your Christ. To the resurrection to eternal life, both of, body, of, both of soul and of body. In the incorruptibility of the Holy Spirit, may I be received among them in your presence today as a rich and acceptable sacrifice as you have prepared and revealed beforehand and have now accomplished, you who are the undeceiving and true God, for this reason, indeed, for all things, I praise you, I bless you, I glorify you through the eternal and heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, through whom be glory to you and with him and the Holy Spirit, both now and for the ages to come. Amen. And when he had offered up the amen and finished his prayer, the men in charge of the fire lit it. 
And as a mighty flame blazed up, we saw a miracle. We, that is, to whom it was given to see. And we have been preserved in order that we may tell the rest of what happened. For the fire taking the shape of an arch, like the sail of a ship filled by the wind, completely surrounded the body of the martyr, and it was there in the middle, not like flesh burning, but like bread baking, or like gold and silver being refined in a furnace. For we also perceived a very fragrant aroma, as if it were the scent of incense or some precious spice. When the lawless men eventually realized that his body could not be consumed by fire, they ordered an executioner to go up to him and stab him with a dagger. And when he did this, there came out a dove and a large quantity of blood, so that it be extinguished, so that it extinguished the fire, and the whole crowd was amazed that there should be so great a difference between the unbelievers and the elect. This man was certainly one of the elect, the most remarkable Polycarp, who proved to be an apostolic and prophetic teacher in our own time. Bishop of the Catholic, now that word Catholic there is universal. It's literally the Greek word Catholic being translated. The Catholic Church in Smyrna, for every word that came from his mouth, was accomplished and will be accomplished. Got uh, I just I want to say this right now. Understand that when we talk about Jacob's trouble, I believe that there is a physical three and a half years cut short, uh, the last half of the seventieth week of Daniel coming. But understand that each generation, in some form or fashion, faces a trouble of their own, a fiery test. Literally, um, in the case of Polycarp. And instead of burning incense to Caesar, he, w- he became a living sacrifice in the most literal sense and literally burned incense unto God, the Father. For everybody, pagan, Christian, everybody that was there to see and acknowledge that Polycarp was truly a follower of Jesus Christ. In John John chapter 17. Chill out. Um, sorry, the, the, the Pyrenees pups are going off in the other room. Uh, Wh- uh, Shyla is ready to go to bed and Willa is not. And Shyla does not take any crap. When she's ready to go to bed, she wants to go to bed. So if you hear them barking, that's why. Um, in John chapter 17, this is what Jesus said. John chapter 17 and verse 15. I pray that thou shouldest not take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Understand that if you are seeking after a preacher rapture to take you away from the trouble to come, you're praying against the will of God. Plain and simple. Jesus said, I pray that thou takest them not out of the world, but that, uh, that, that thou deliverest them from evil. Polycarp was a great example of this, as has every Christian martyr since been an example of this. And they are types and shadows of the final saints that will stand up 
to the blasphemous reign of Antichrist and will look and say, we have no king but Jesus Christ. And so we've got a question in the chat. Do you all believe that we are presently in the millennium? I want to answer this one. I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak for myself. And if you guys have a few minutes, I would love to walk through this. Now, here is why I believe we are presently in the millennium. Number one, the word that is translated thousand years in the book of Revelation, it can mean a thousand. It can mean more than a thousand. It can mean, literally, it can mean a, a plural of uncertain affinity. So when you look at the 40, 144,000, I don't believe that that is a literal interpretation. Understand, Revelation is a book full of symbolism. It is apocalyptic literature. So um, when you look at Jesus reigning right now, not a literal thousand years, but a plural of uncertain affinity, Psalm 110 says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemy thy footstool. Well, who are the last enemies destroyed? That would be death and hell after the tribulation. And Jesus, when it says he comes back, he will reign forever and ever. Let's go there real quick. So, and I talked about this. There's an episode coming out on our Substack page where we actually look at this. It, as a matter of fact, I believe it comes out tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. So make sure you're subscribed to metanoianmedia.substack.com. I'll give you a little taste of what we're going to talk about. So let's go to the sixth seal in the book of Revelation. The sixth seal says this. If I can flip there. So the sixth seal opened, and I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were cast out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand now let's flip over to the judgment or let's flip over to the trumpets and let's go to, see if I can find it real quick, um, the seventh trumpet. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now notice how it starts off with that. Now what I'm about to show you, if you haven't seen this before, um, you're not going to hear this. You're not going to hear this preached in church, because in in pre-tribulational, pre-millennial dispensational teaching, they teach that these are sequential events, but they're not. The 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 seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. The bowls are actually the sixth seal and the seventh trumpet. 
they're all they all match up, and I can show you how they match up. So bear with me. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their face and worshiped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged. The resurrection is about to happen. And that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets. And to the saints and them that fear thy name, small and great, and thou shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in the heavens, and there was seen in his temple the ark of the testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and a great hail. So notice one of the things that is happening in the sixth seal and the seventh trumpet, lightnings, thunderings, and an earthquake, right? Now, let's look at that last part. And great hail, there's a new detail added. Let's go to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. And let's look at the seventh vial. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a voice out of the temple of heaven, which we just saw in the seventh trumpet, from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders, and lightning, and a great earthquake, and such as was not seen since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake, and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came into remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath, which we saw in both of those passages. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found." And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Now, the reason I want to talk about those is those are three different perspectives of one cataclysmic event. And notice how the seventh seal started out. They talked about how Jesus will reign forever and ever. So let me ask you a question. Does Jesus reign for a thousand years or does he reign forever and ever? Because those are two different doctrines being taught. The question is, is which ones does the scripture talk about? And yes, I will give you this. The book of Revelation does talk about Jesus reigning for a thousand years. But how do you synchronize the two? When you look at that Greek word, it means a plural of uncertain affinity. And so I do want to break that down because I want you, instead of hearing what you're being taught or hearing what I'm saying to you, I want you to study it for yourself. Don't believe what I say because all I want you to do is study this word for yourself because it's here that you'll find truth. It's not on Course Correction Radio or it's not on all of these. We're doing our best to preach the truth, but the best way you can find this truth is right here and understand that Jesus cannot return until his enemies are made his footstool. And when they are made his footstool, he will reign forever and ever. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out.
The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word ABOVE to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text ABOVE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word ABOVE to 323232. Text ABOVE to 323232. So... I do just want to put, that's why I believe that. I actually was pre-millennial, or I, I believed that the tribulation was before the millennium up until 2020, I believe, was when I changed my views on that. And so, um, and look, I'm not saying that nobody's studying. I'm just saying continue to study, show you thyself approved. That's what we're all told. Um so uh, Tim says, Trey, does it say did it does it not say that a thousand years will go by and then Satan is let loose one more time? So it does, but let's look at it this way. So the Bible talks about how the beast will have a deadly head wound that will be healed, right? So let's look at it from this perspective. In Genesis chapter three, let's go to Genesis chapter three because this was prophesied. This is the first prophecy in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. Um, and this is what it says. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat of all thy days. We've heard this. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. That is, of course, her seed being Jesus Christ. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. I am going to postulate to you, or posit to you rather, that both of these events happened at the cross. The serpent's head was bruised, and the heel of Christ was bruised. So let's, let's look at this a little bit deeper, because then you can go to uh, the book of Numbers. Let's see if I can remember where it's at in the book of Numbers. Yeah, right here. Um, Therefore, when the people came to Moses... And said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee, praying to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. Now, the word serpents there, the Lord sent fiery serpents. That's the word seraphim. It's literally the same word in Isaiah, fiery serpents. Now, the Lord, verse 8, the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery serpent, a seraph, a seraph, seraphim would be the plural, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, a nachash of brass, and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. There is a mystery of the gospel here. And if we pay attention, we'll see it. The brazen serpent, the brass serpent, is, and I love it, it was David Carrico that originally said this. So I want to give credit where credit is due. He was the first person I ever heard teach this. But the brazen serpent is the victory symbol of the serpent defeated at the cross. 
We can see this further from John chapter 3. And let me see if I can find the specific verse. John chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, the, that, but that the world through him might be saved. Back up to Luke chapter 10. Chapter 10 says, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And the 70 returned with joy after they had been sent out to cast out demons and do all of this. The 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven behold i give you unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions uh, serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you so jesus just in his proclamations of deliverance through the gospel was starting to weaken the kingdom of satan and at the cross satan was bound for a number of uncertain affinity he was cast out of the earth, and Revelation chapter 12 says that one day he will be cast back in, and he will be wroth, for he knows that his time is short, and he will make war with the saints. I hope that answers your question, because it is, you kind of have to jump around through the whole Bible to see it, but it's the same for Satan as it is for Jesus. The thousand years, they're the same. As Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, until his enemies are made his footstool, Satan's power is, even though he's still in charge of the kingdom of darkness, he is, he is bound in that he does not have his full power to physically assail the servants of God as he did in the past, as you see in the book of Job or the fact that he entered into Judas Iscariot. Now, once he is let loose and cast back into the earth, that's when he will start entering into people again. He'll enter into the beast of Revelation and he'll go from there. And that is when the time of Jacob's trouble will start. So thank you for your question, because it brought it all around full circle. I love the way that the Father works. So, um, so hey, guys, I appreciate it. Look, this is what I'm here for. Look, this is iron sharpening iron. So, like, I, look, I'm telling you, this is what I have a passion for. As a matter of fact, I'll go as far as to say, does anybody else have any other questions they'd like to ask? Because... Y'all have got me excited now, and I am geeking out because I am a major geek when it comes to the Bible. I love this stuff. Yes, Tim, we should talk about that. That would actually be really fun to talk about. Tim said, one day we should talk on how Jesus' first miracle showed and laid the whole plan out. I think that would be so much fun. Oh, my goodness. Wow, that would be that would be great, and I'd be interested to see what your thoughts are on that, Tim, because um, I feel like I could learn something here. And the only thing I love more than showing what I what God has shown me is seeing what God has shown you guys. So, um, yeah, if anybody else has any questions, I'd love to do that. We've got a few minutes. We've got about eight minutes left before I want to cut it off, because, like I said, I want to give y'all plenty of time to make sure you get your coffee before the midnight ride.
So Chris says, can you comment on the difference between living under the law versus grace? And so honestly, I, 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 can, I can comment on that, and I think the best way to comment on that is when we go to the book of Galatians. This is what the book of Galatians says about that. If I can ever get there. Um, and, you know, there's other books that talk about it, but Galatians is kind of my go-to with this because this is everybody's go-to to show that we're not under the law. So, um, let's go, let me see. Let me make sure this is the right place. Yeah. So, uh, Galatians chapter 4, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. That would be the stoicheion. Um, literally, think these were the elements that people in... Um, uh, that 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 uh, like the alchemists talk about, you know, earth, water, fire, air. Um, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, um, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So understand, when, when the Bible talks about being under the law, it is talking about, Paul says that we have wages for our actions. And Romans chapter 6, he says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, if we are under the law, we are under the condemnation of it, which is death. And that can be found, the curses of the law, that is um, Deuteronomy chapter 28, which we don't have time to read, read right now. But I promise you, if you read Deuteronomy 28 and you really study into it, you'll actually see that America is actually living out the curses of the law because we are a godless nation. But those of us who are under Christ understand that we, because we love Christ, the book of First uh, John says this excellent, you know, if we say we love him, we ought to walk even as he walked. Well, we know Jesus was made under the law. He kept it perfectly. And he says, be ye perfect as, you know, God tells us to be perfect as he is perfect. That's what Jesus tells us, you know, as our Father in heaven is perfect. That word there literally means to be complete. None of us will keep this law perfectly but we are to strive for the will of God. And the will of God, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. We are not under the curse of the law, but the law is not a thing. The law was never for salvation. That's where grace has always been. The book of Genesis says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Grace is what we are given for our fallen human nature. But the law is literally a path you know, Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's what the law of God is for us. It's a, it lights our path, that path leading to Jesus Christ. And so even if you're already, if you're already, you know, a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't know Jesus fully, 
and the more we study the law of God, the more we 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 submit our hearts to Christ and His law, because He says, "I the, you know this is not the doctrine I teach is of my Father." That's a paraphrase. You know, Jesus said He taught the Father's doctrine. So when we submit ourselves to the moral law of God and to the doctrine of Christ, well, Romans tells us that Christ is the end of the law. That word end there is telos. The, the, it's literally, imagine a finish line, if you will. It's the end goal. So if the law, the word of God, is a light unto our feet and a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, the path we're on points us to Christ, who is the end of the law. So the more we study the law and submit ourselves to it, the closer we will grow in Christ. I hope that answers your question. So um, Mo says, so was Satan bound at the cross, but just was sort of physically shot down in that verse, and I beheld him fall like lightning. I literally believe, um, now I don't have all the answers on this one, but what I literally believe happened is so you see in the book of Job, you know, it says, and the sons of God came uh, came before the Lord, and Satan came with them, and God said, asked Satan where he had been. He said, I've been roaming about to and fro in the earth. Um, I believe that Satan is one of the, when we talk about him being bound, and I'm trying to explain this as clearly as I can, we no longer see physical manifestations of Satan. Like, so for instance, Judas entered, Satan himself physically entered into Judas. We have no record of this for, well, quite frankly, since the cross. But we know that when Satan returns, he's going to enter into the beast. Um, Because, you know, it says the dragon gave him his power. Um, It even says the second dragon, you know, he had the horns of a lamb, but spoke as a dragon. Um, So... Let me look at it again, make sure that I'm that I'm answering this right because I'm I'm kind of rambling here. And so when you look at Luke chapter 10, I beheld like I had beheld him falling like lightning. His power was being stripped away because, you know, Jesus says when we go into a house, you bind the strong man and then spoil the house. Well, of course, Satan is the strong man over the whole kingdom. At the cross, Jesus bound him. And as Christians, when we do deliverance ministry, when we proclaim the gospel, we cast out demons, we heal the sick, we are spoiling the house. And so I believe uh, it wasn't so much that he physically shot down as much as it was, um, you know, I believe, you know, Jesus clearly saw something there. But as far as him being shot down, when he was bound, I believe it was more he was cast out. I hope I'm answering your question right. So, um, let's see. I love the way Tim, you know, uh, Catherine, if, I, if it's all right, I want to read your comment because you said, since I've embraced God's law and feast and came out of Babylon and all its satanic holidays, I'm able to walk closer to the Father. And I believe that's what Paul's saying in, second, in, in Colossians chapter 2 when he says, you know, let no man judge you therefore in meat or in drinks or in the keeping of a Sabbath or of an holy day, uh, of which, um, how does it say it? I'm going to have to read it. Um, this is an important verse that gets taken out of context, too. You know, these people were Gentiles. 
so why would people have been judging them in a Gentile nation that wasn't keeping the feast of God? It doesn't make any sense. But that's what the church teaches. But this is what he said. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect of an holy day or of a new moon or of a Sabbath day, which are the shadows, a shadow of things to come. This was Paul speaking. And they were still, so still in the future. Shadows of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So when we study this and the body is of Christ and we partake of this physically, we're learning through our actions and it is going to draw us closer to Christ. And so Tim says the law showed us showed us sin and our need for Christ and, and salvation, it revealed our true condition. Amen, I couldn't have said it better myself. Matter of fact, you took my five-minute ramblings or even longer than that and narrowed it down to one sentence. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. So, um, you know, guys, this is, man, wow, what an edifying, I'm so glad that I reconsidered my, my decision to not do this show. Thank you so much because I would have lost out on a blessing. So thank you guys for your encouraging words because that was what turned me around because I was extremely defeated. And so I'm glad that everybody's questions are getting answered. Um, you know, I'm glad that, you know, this is being encouraging to you and edifying to you. And with that, guys, I'm going to cue that outro music so you guys can go make your coffee. And I'm going to go check on my little one and start to get her to sleep because I know with those dogs barking, she ain't asleep. So I'm going to go try to calm them down, too. So, so uh, that you make sure you're pushing the right button before you push it so guys thank you guys so much for turning uh for tuning in rather to this very last minute haphazard but very blessed episode of ccr weekly don't forget we are here live every saturday night 9 p.m eastern standard time we all be blessed uh you know god bless each and every one of you y'all go enjoy the ride and I will catch you guys all next time right here on Course Correction TV. Y'all take care.